The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Well, I ask you this morning, who are you? Who are you? Most of us would start with our name, right? That's even how we're taught to learn a second language. One of the first things we learn after hello, goodbye, and maybe where's the bathroom is, you know, Vihaisenzi, how are you called? What is your name? And so we get stuck with that sometimes. Other times, such as if we look at the world of our country right now, the political landscape, some of us maybe spend more of our time talking about who we're not. That was on parade on TV this week. I don't know if you saw it. Our TVs were infiltrated with politics from every side, shape, color, everything. Uh, but it was mostly filled with people pointing at, well, at least I'm not. Well, I'm not so-and-so, whether it's the Democratic candidates, the president, the Congress, doesn't matter. They're spending their time making sure you know that they are not. Fill in the blank. But I ask you again this morning, who are you? More than just your name, child of God, yes, you're cheating. Um, more than just your name, more than just maybe what you know of yourself. I made a list for myself. It's kind of existential, but, you know, bear with me. Uh, son, musician, husband, coach, father, bartender, pastor, human being. I was going to include sinner, but all of you know that, so I just kind of left that off the list. The interesting thing with this list is that you can change the, change the gender around or, or whatnot, and most of us will fit somehow into a list just like this, and that list is true for you right now, just as it was true for you maybe many decades ago. I will always be a son. I will always be a husband, a father, all those things, regardless of what changes in my life. Those of you whose parents have been gone for many years, you are still a son, still a daughter. But the problem that we have in the church and in our world, is that we can take this, this list that I've created, the list maybe that even you have in your head, 
And we can put it into two columns. The, the first column over here is where we include things like musician, husband, coach, father, bartender, pastor. This list is made up of all these things I've worked very hard to become. I've worked at it. At, at one point in my life, I was not these things. And now I am. Working very hard to become these things, to, to make myself these things. Then the second column over here, we can include son and human being. Things I have nothing to do with, apart from those are what I am. I didn't choose to be a son. I didn't choose to be a human being, yet that's what I've been made as. And the struggle that we have in our culture, and especially within the church, is that as a Christian, we, we tend to see life as sort of this pendulum swing, where we swing over here to this side, and this is, this is where we sit here and we go, okay, I, I, I'm meeting this sort of segment of what it means to be a Christian. I'm, I'm a pretty good Christian because, and, and we, we make a list for ourselves of all these things, and it usually often can include whatever we see happening around us that either we don't like or we're worried that we don't see it in us. So we start to think, well, at least I'm not that guy. Or we think, wow, I am horrible. Look at all the people around me that are way better than me. And then once we get done with that, then we swing over here to this column, especially when we get to the point where we say, well, don't judge me, I have Jesus. We swing over to the column of what God has done. And we're sitting here swinging back and forth trying to find our place in all of this. But the problem is, is that with this column over here is the exact issue I've already raised. This is where divisions happen. This is where comparisons happen. This is where categories come in. This is where degradations take place, where everything that makes you who you are that you didn't work for gets removed and we start to judge one another based on whatever scope of Christianity we think is within ourselves or not within the person next to us. Sort of this ladder of achievement that we've created because that's how the world talks to us. That's how the world speaks to us about success, about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, about all these things. And so we so often translate that into the Christian life that we lose sight of column number two. Second problem we have is this morning out of Matthew 5 is a verb. And it's the verb to be. And it's in the present active indicative second person plural. Which means it's y'all. That's the proper translation of the Greek, y'all. I learned from a, a Southern Baptist uh, New Testament professor, y'all. There's apostrophe in there somewhere, I don't know. But it's present active indicative, meaning if you read this text last year, it was the same then as it is right now. You read this text a year from now, and it's going to be the same. You are. You are. Right now. And it's a right now declaration to you. Just like the whole rest of the Beatitudes, where I preach on this every All Saints Sunday, and I'm going to preach on it until I'm blue in the face. The, the, the Beatitudes, the Blesseds, are not a list of laws that we not try to need to attain to, that, that we not need to be more merciful, or that we need to be more poor in spirit, or that we need to be mourning more often, or whatever. It's Jesus declaring to us that when we are in mourning, when we are poor in spirit, when we are persecuted, when we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, all of those things, God says to us, you are blessed. 
At the times when we do not feel blessed, Christ declares it to us. And we hear it even more so in verses 11 and 12 that I didn't read, but he says, you are blessed when they insult you, persecute you, and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. There again is the you are. And then he goes on to say, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. There's no opportunity for, for the subjunctive. There's no opportunity for you might be if dot, dot, dot. There's no opportunity for, well, I'm the light of the world, but so-and-so is not the light of the world. I'm the salt of the earth, but so-and-so isn't very salty. It's a declaration by Christ to you saying you are right now these things. It removes from us that American dream mentality of, well, I'm going to make myself salty. I'm going to make myself light. It's Christ proclaiming it to us, declaring it even when we do not feel salty, even when we do not feel lighty enough. And so it's no wonder then that people may insult us or be upset at us when we're walking around as salt and light because, in matter of fact, when Jesus is talking about saltiness and light, He's actually removing the sweetness of success that we might parade around for ourselves of look at what I have done so that it might be Christ and what He has done. Forever, we've been translating this section of Scripture and we talk about it, you know, salt losing its saltiness as a flavoring. We talk about the salt as, oh, we're supposed to go out and flavor the world. Some of us are, are sporty salt, and some of us are, are spicy salt, and some of us are, are uh, garlic salt, and I don't know what else. There's too many salts in the, in the world. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of like the Spice Girls, I guess. I don't know. Bath salts, yes, yes. But the problem is, is what if we were to translate this differently? as though rub some salt in the wound. It stings, right? It makes things a little bit worse. Anyone who's ever had a cut and gone into the ocean, you, you learn right away that you cut something. But there's also an antiseptic quality to it. This idea of the Gospel being for us, this saltiness that comes to us, reminds us of the wound that we have, reminds us of the fact that we are not whole and that we are in needing of this gospel as a cure for us, and we are sent out as the image of that cure for the world. Losing your saltiness can mean losing that gospel, losing sight of our sin, moving over into, into column one, not realizing that we live every day in column two of what God has done for us, living in the URs. The funny thing is, is that with the translation, where we translate it, if, if salt should lose its, its taste or sh salt should lose its saltiness or whatever. The word actually there is the Greek verb for being a moron. That's, it's moraino. It's where we get moron from, being foolish. The foolishness of not having the salt is a, a, a gospel without Jesus. Without the work of God for you on your behalf, it becomes worthless. It's only good for people to walk on because maybe it will melt some ice. Whereas the gospel of the salt of the earth comes to us 
into something else. If, if, if we don't have Jesus, don't have, have the work of God upon us, especially when we don't have it. As, 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 as Isaiah 58 was read to us by Billy this morning, I look at that list and I start to think, I'm not very good at any of those things. And it drives me to Jesus. Drives me to the mercy of God. And then we rely on, on the reading from 1 Corinthians 2 where it tells us that we only know the things of God by the work of the Spirit upon us. Otherwise, without this saltiness work of God upon us, declaring us as salt, sending us out as salt, whether we feel salty or not, it's like we're going to just go out in the world and tell a dead man, oh, you're okay. You know, rub some dirt on it, get back in the game. Or like the Black Knight in, uh, in Monty Python's Search for the Holy Grail. Oh, it's only a flesh wound while he's sitting there with no legs, no arms. Well, what does this mean for you and me this morning? Well, number one, judgment is stolen from you. Jesus can say to the worst of sinners right now, you are salt and you are light. We spend a majority of our time wondering if we are, and we have to hear Christ say, you are all the time. Secondly, suffering loses a portion of its sting. The amount of times I have people come to me and talk about God punishing them for this or that feeling punished by God because of this circumstance or because of that circumstance. And what we see of God is a suffering God on the cross that dwells there that He might say to you, right now you are salt, you are light. Even in your suffering, I am with you. Even in your hardship, I'm that piece of the puzzle that completes you. Thirdly, you can't be hidden this is that whole city on a hill thing. A city on, the, on a hill, you can see for miles around, lights, all that stuff. Well, if you come here long enough and you hear me talk about forgiving your sins, talk to you about body broken for you, blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins, at some point it starts to rub off and you start to realize we live every day in that column number two. Live every day as that child of God, as one made into a messenger to go out and say, have you heard about this Jesus guy who makes salt and light out of sinners. And lastly, we're actually saved from our good works. I don't know if you hear it, but I always, I always say it's here in, in Matthew 5 that Jesus steals from our baptismal liturgy. He's a plagiarist. Did you hear it? Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're probably the plagiarists. We steal it from him. But we always stick with that section of, well, let your light so shine. Oh, make sure your light shines. They'll go out and shine bright for Jesus. When in fact, we skip the second half of that where it says that they might see your good works and glorify you. No, glorify your Father who is in heaven. The idea being that there are plenty of times that we do things in the hopes that people will see maybe how good we are, we're trying to do good works for Jesus or whatnot, but I wonder how many things do we do day after day that glorify our Father in heaven because we are salt, we are light. That glorify Him not because we've tried, but because God has said, you're mine, you are. Because that's the work of Christ for us. Christ coming to us to take everything away from us that we might be told exactly who we are in Him, being salt and light. Thanks be to God. Amen.